everyone. Welcome to Novel Ideas, episode number 83. I'm Candace Huber, your host and the owner of Chubby and Coo's Mid-City Bookshop in New Orleans. Novel Ideas is all about what I do best, books and board games. I bring you news, discussions, interviews, and more every month. And most importantly, I make your TBR and or gaming list that much longer. This month, I'll catch you up on some industry news, pair a book and a board game in our Tables and Fables segment, discuss our book of the month, The Prince and the Dressmaker by Jen Wang, and bring you interviews with two of the authors on our docket to be published August 14th. That lovely song you're hearing is Brave by Jonathan Colton off his newest album, Solid State. So grab a cup of your favorite beverage, pull up a chair, and let's chat. So let's start with some book industry news. So first of all, the grand master of science fiction and fantasy, Harlan Edison, has passed away at age 84. He was a person who was an author and screenwriter and just really big in the sci-fi fantasy community. And he did some punk stuff. He was a runaway. He was a dock worker and a circus hand. And he did all kinds of things in his life and wrote some really great sci-fi and fantasy books. I think his most famous story was Repent Harlequin Said the TikTok Man, in which a future enslaved under strict schedules was invaded by a rogue figure intent on destroying the system. And Harlan Ellison was just like constantly presenting his middle finger to the establishment. And he was just an overall uh, great writer. So that was sad to hear about his passing. He passed on June 28th at the age of 84. Our second piece of news is that N.K. Jemison's first short story collection is coming out on November 27th. I am super, super excited. N.K. Jemison is one of my favorite authors, and she has never put out a book of short stories. This will be her very first one. And if you don't know who N.K. Jemison is, she wrote uh, The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms. She also wrote The Inheritance Trilogy and The Broken Earth Trilogy, which is one of my favorite trilogies of all time. The first book of that is The Fifth Season. I've put her on like a lot of lists for this podcast as well. So her first short story collection is called How Long Till Black Future Month, and it's coming out on November 27th with Orbit. And this is how the publisher describes the collection. They say, in these stories, Jemison sharply examines modern society, infusing magic into the mundane and drawing deft parallels in the fantasy realms of her imagination. Dragons and hateful spirits haunt the flooded city of New Orleans in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. In a parallel universe, a utopian society watches our world, trying to learn from our mistakes. A black mother in the Jim Crow South must figure out how to save her daughter from a fae offering impossible promises. And in the Hugo Award-winning novella, The City Born Great, a young street kid fights to give birth to an old Metropolis's soul. It is going to be amazing. I am so excited about this book, and you should be too. We will definitely have it at the bookstore. I'm really, really excited to read it. And finally, the 2018 Locus Award winners have been announced. So the Locus Award is another big sci-fi fantasy award, and they announced the winners on June. I, I think the conference where they announced the winners took place June 22nd to the 24th, 
And here are the winners of the Locus Awards for science fiction novel, The Collapsing Empire by John Scalzi from Tor. For fantasy novel, The Stone Sky by N.K. Jemisin from Orbit, which is the third book in the Broken Earth trilogy. For horror novel, The Changeling by Victor Laval from Spiegel and Grau. For young adult book, Akata Warrior by Nettie Okorfor from Viking. For first novel or debut novel, The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter by Theodora Goss from Saga. For novella, All Systems Read by Martha Wells from Tor.com. For novelette, The Hermit of Houston by Samuel R. Delaney from FNSF. For short story, The Martian Obelisk by Linda Nagata from Tor.com. For anthology, The Book of Swords by Gardner Dezois from Bantam HarperCollins. For collection, Ursula K. Le Guin, The Hainish Novels and Stories by Ursula K. Le Guin from the Library of America. And best nonfiction was Luminescent Threads, Connections to Octavia E. Butler from Alexandra Pierce and Mimi Mondal, who were the editors from 12th Planet. So those are the major winners of the Locus Awards. You can look up all of the winners. I found them on tour.com, or I'm sure you can just search 2018 Locus Award winners. You can get the details and links to all of the news I discussed today in our show notes on our website, www.tubbyandcoos.com slash blog. And now it's time for Tables and Fables. In this segment, I pair books with board games. And today, I'll be talking about Meddling Kids, a novel by Edgar Cantero, and the board game Betrayal at the House on the Hill. If you're a fan of Scooby-Doo, supernatural, ghosty-type things, you'll love both of these. The novel Meddling Kids by Edgar Cantero is a nostalgic and subversive trip rife with sly nods to H.P. Lovecraft and pop culture that really scratches the itch of nostalgia for those who grew up with Scooby-Doo. In the summer of 1977, the Blighton Summer Detective Club, which consists of four kids and a dog, had solved their final mystery when they unmasked the Sleepy Lake Monster. Fast forward to 1990, and all the former detectives are super messed up adults. There are way too many strange, half-remembered encounters and events that they really can't dismiss or explain away by a guy in a mask. So one of the former detectives decides that she wants answers. She gets the old gang back together to face their fears and find out what really happened that summer at Sleepy Lake. Someone told me the reason why I originally read this novel is because someone told me that it was Scooby-Doo meets Cthulhu, and that is 100% on point exactly what this novel is. It is a beach read for nerds. The board game, Betrayal at the House on the Hill, hits all of those same notes. This creepy tile-laying game starts off as cooperative, where you and a group of your friends head out to this mansion on a hill and just begin exploring. As you discover new rooms in the house through overturning tiles, you also uncover events and omens and things like that. If you uncover enough omens, the second part of the game is triggered, where one player becomes a traitor and the rest of the group has to fight against them to make it out of the house alive. This game is reminiscent of Scooby-Doo, much like Meddling Kids, because you're exploring this old haunted mansion. And in this weird mansion, you never know what's going to happen. We have gotten some really weird scenarios. There are like 50 scenarios, I think, that come with Betrayal at the House on the Hill. It has an expansion. So it's a really fun game. 
Both Meddling Kids and Betrayal also offer ample humor, as the novel has a lot of callbacks, for example, the Zoinks River Valley, which was hilarious. And the game also has some silly elements, like there's a scenario where everyone gets shrunken to the size of mice and you have to fly out of the window in a toy airplane before the traitor who has turned into a cat gets you. So if you like creepy horror and a little bit of humor, both Meddling Kids and Betrayal at the House on the Hill will be right up your alley. These are great. If you like Betrayal, you'll like Meddling Kids. If you like Meddling Kids, you'll like Betrayal. Try them out. You can check them both out at Tubby and Coos. And now it's time for our Book of the Month. Each month, I'll introduce you to one of my picks and announce the book for next month so you can read along if you so choose. You can also discuss our books of the month and get updates in our discussion group on Goodreads. Just search for Tubby Ampersand Coos with an apostrophe S, or the link will also be in the show notes on our website. This month's pick is The Prince and the Dressmaker by Jen Wang, which is my first graphic novel pick. This really cute and sweet YA graphic novel is a sweet story about the friendship between a seamstress named Francis and a prince named Sebastian, whose parents are looking for a bride for him. However, at night, the prince transforms. He puts on a red wig and his friend Francis's beautiful ball gowns and goes out in Paris as Lady Cristalia, the hottest fashion icon in the city where fashion reigns supreme. Sebastian's secret weapon and best friend, Francis, is a brilliant dressmaker and one of only two people who knows the truth about Sebastian. But Francis dreams of greatness, and being someone's secret weapon also means being a secret forever. So in this book, Francis and Sebastian are best friends. Francis is a seamstress, and Sebastian finds her and hires her to make dresses for him so that he can wear them at night and go out and do all of these fashion shows. And I loved the representation in this book. I haven't seen a whole lot of media that tries to tackle gender fluidity, and this book does it really well. Sebastian is a prince during the day and a fashion lady icon at night, and he really fully inhabits both of these. He is comfortable in both scenarios. He's really comfortable being a prince, although there's a lot of pressure in that life. And he, you know, really is kind of worried about getting married. And his parents are really trying to pair him up with someone. And so there's, you know, kind of this constant parade of women that are coming in to court him. And so he has all of this pressure in his real life. And so at night, He can put on these beautiful dresses and go out and be Lady Cristalia, and that's really when he shines. And Francis is one of only two people who knows about his secret nightlife. He is very afraid to have that life come out because he doesn't know how his parents, the king and queen, are going to take it. He doesn't know how the realm will take it if they learn that their prince dresses up like a woman at night. And so he is really holding this secret close to his chest. And that means that Francis, who makes all of the beautiful dresses for Lady Cristalia, and people are noticing these beautiful dresses and asking about who makes them, Francis can't really come out and really live her dream because she's kind of kept 
hidden because Sebastian doesn't want people to know about her and he doesn't want people to know about him. And so she struggles with that as well because Sebastian is her best friend and they start falling in love with each other and she really wants him to be happy, but also she wants to be able to live her dream. And so she struggles with that as well. The representation, as I said, was really great. I liked that Sebastian is represented as this gender fluid character who is a boy during the day and this beautiful woman at night. The artwork is phenomenal. I absolutely loved the artwork in this graphic novel and the fashion that Jen Wang creates with all of these beautiful dresses and the fashion shows and everything in this book. It's so colorful and fun and beautiful and the artwork just really, really made this book. The story was okay. It's a YA story. And, of course, you know, the the best friend and the prince have to fall in love and all of this stuff. So, of course, as always, I have the same complaint that I usually have about books. Like, if you listen to this podcast, I have the, you know, when I criticize books, it's it's pretty much always because of the romance. Because as an individual, I just most of the time think that it is unnecessary to the story. And I really would have loved to have seen Francis and Sebastian in this story as platonic best friends. And they, of course, start this romantic relationship. So to me, it was disappointing because I really enjoy seeing intimate friendships that aren't romantic because you don't see that as much. There's romance in everything as I say, it's my like one complaint about a lot of things is that a romance develops when it could have just been a really great platonic, intimate friendship. And so that's what I wish this would have been. And it wasn't, but that's okay. It is young adult and whatever. So if the romance was fine, I just thought it would have been better had it just been this awesome platonic, platonic intimate friendship between the two of them. I also felt like the ending of this book was wholly saccharine and unrealistic. I understand that it's written for kids. I understand that, you know, it's a fairy tale. And so everyone has to live happily ever after. But everything really works out 100% perfectly for everyone. It is definitely a happily ever after type wedding. I mean, wedding. It's, there's no wedding. A happily ever after type story ending. And everything just falls into place and perfectly aligns. And that's just not how real life works. And so that was also disappointing for me. Even though it's YA and it's a fairy tale, I feel like the book may be conveying an unrealistic message to kids, especially gender fluid kids who, you know, see themselves in this character and then everything just works out completely perfectly. And I do think there's something to be said for, you know, everything's going to be okay. I think that's a great message. But for everything to just work out where, you know, it's just tied up in a pretty little bow and the character has absolutely no trouble or obstacles when it does finally come out what his secret is, and I just thought that was borderline dangerously unrealistic for kids who might be reading this, who might think, oh, well, if I 
just am who I am, then everything will be totally fine and everyone will love me when in a lot of these situations, that's not the case. So I think that there's a balance here with that we should be doing with books where like, sure, everything's going to be okay, but you will have to go through some obstacles most likely. And in this book, there really aren't any obstacles that Sebastian has to go through. And so that was my one disappointment was the romance and then the way that it ended because I just thought it could have been a little more realistic or these characters, especially Sebastian, could have gone through a little bit more trouble and obstacles and struggles before the end. But overall, I really did enjoy the book, especially the beautiful artwork. Like, it's worth reading for the artwork because it's just gorgeous. It's a gorgeous book. The characters were really endearing. I cared about what happened to them. Also, it's a standalone graphic novel, which I really liked because there aren't a million issues to go back and read. You can just read this in one fell swoop as one contained story, and I really liked that as well. So if you're looking for a super sweet, cute, escapist kind of story, this book is worth the 45 minutes it will take you to read it. Just keep in mind that it is a fairy tale, everything works out perfectly, and real life just doesn't always work out that way. So, do you agree? Disagree? Have more to say? Tell me what you think in our Goodreads discussion thread. Just search for Tubby Ampersand Coos with an apostrophe S on Goodreads or follow the link in the show notes. Next month, I'll be discussing An Unkindness of Ghost by Rivers Solomon. In this book, the main character, Aster, lives in the low-deck slums of the HSS Matilda, which is a space vessel organized much like the Antebellum South. For generations, the Matilda has ferried the last of humanity to a mythical promised land. On its way, the ship's leaders have imposed harsh moral restrictions and deep indignities on dark-skinned sharecroppers like Aster. Embroiled in a grudge with a brutal overseer, Aster learns that there may be a way to improve her situation if she's willing to sow the seeds of civil war. I've heard a lot about this book. It looks phenomenal. Everyone says it's phenomenal. I'm super excited to read it. So if you want to read it with me, please go to our Goodreads discussion group again and let me know your thoughts in the thread. I may feature them on the podcast next month. And of course, you can purchase the book at Tubby and Coos. interview segment, you're going to get two interviews from two different authors that are getting published by Tubby and Coos. All of our books, we have three books coming out on August 14th, which is just in about a month. And I'm really excited about all three of these books. Two of our authors are here today to talk about their books. And I really hope you enjoy these interviews. Our first author is Daniel Moore Glaser, a New Orleans native who wrote The Two Stegosauruses. In this adorable cartoon book, an awkward Stegosaurus and a clumsy Stegosaurus overcome their own self-doubt to connect. And this book will show you that no matter how weird you think you are, you are not alone. Welcome, Daniel. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Good. So why did you choose to tell this story through dinosaurs? Through dinosaurs? Okay, well, to go back a little bit, uh, I had originally written the book, I wrote the book uh, for my girlfriend, uh, and it was uh, basically a one-year uh, dating or anniversary present. Okay. Uh, and I, like I, I like I like making things for people rather than buying things. Yes. Uh, so, 
and also at the same time, I kind of get like a creative outlet, like for myself, where I actually end up, you know, making something for someone else, but then I, I learn stuff as I do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the book was originally just for her to be, you know, for her. And we had a kind of an inside joke uh, when we met, we were like, we had a lot in common when we first met and it was kind of weird how much we had in common. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we kept going down like the list of things that we both like. And then like we had run out of things and I'm like, Oh wait, what's your favorite dinosaur? Cause like, there's no way we both have the same favorite dinosaur. Right. And then we both had both of our favorite dinosaurs, our stegosauruses. Uh, and so that was kind of like an inside joke that we had uh, that being like the pinnacle of, of being like almost the same person <laughs> because we both like the same dinosaur. And in terms of books, one of my favorite kids books, I guess it's kind of a kid's book is a uh, Dinotopia. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read that one. I haven't. But it, it has gorgeous art. I mean, it's not anything, you know, on the level that, that my book is, but like uh, just the, the art in that book is so amazing. And, you know, it's kind of like Jurassic Park meets steampunk a little bit. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I've always liked dinosaurs, and I guess the inside joke with Stegosaurus has kind of melded that together in making this book. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great story, too. And so you told us a little bit about the inspiration behind the story. Mm-hmm. You originally wrote it for your girlfriend. And so what do you hope the story will do for people? Yeah, so uh, the story definitely has a lot of, like, most of the Stegosauruses are very kind of in a bad place starting out Mm -hmm. uh and i mean obviously that draws from stuff from you know my personal life and her personal life uh and at the end of the story you know they they come they overcome these challenges and realize you know hey the things that made them you know unlikable you know maybe things that are likable to someone else uh and so through the editing process that we did we kind of you know turned that into a little a little bit more general uh, so the story could really apply to anyone. It doesn't have to be just, you know, a romantic relationship. You know, it can be a friendship as well. Right. Uh, and so I guess the, the main mes- message that we were trying to get out was basically that, you know, e- even if someone doesn't like you for a specific reason, you know, someone else can you know really like you for that same reason. Yes. And I think it's a great message, obviously, because I'm publishing it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And this book is so cute, y'all. Y'all should really buy it. Obviously, I'm biased, but... Daniel is an excellent cartoonist, and the art, it's its black and white, but it's really great. And how long did it take you to do, Daniel? So the original, so the original, I guess, first draft, like before I even realized I was going to try to publish this thing, was I did it over a weekend in like a, a sketchbook. Okay. Uh, and so I just had used markers, and it was black and white then as well. Uh, and I just kind of just frantically just did this thing up <laughs> because the, our one-year anniversary was coming up and I hadn't done anything yet. Uh, and then when I when you had announced that we're you're doing a publishing contest, my girlfriend encouraged me to you know maybe try to apply with my book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at, at that point, you know, it was still all on paper, and so then I had to digitize it. Uh, and so I used Photoshop and Illustrator some design programs to digitize it and that that took a lot longer just because i was redrawing it and i was trying to redraw it you know in a way that didn't have mess ups and you know there was no typos and all that so that that process probably took you know that was more like probably two to three weeks of solid just redrawing uh Mm. of the pages and of course then we had more iterative processes on top of that right um, yeah, and that I didn't realize that that took that long to digitize art. I guess I never really thought about that because I'm not a, a person who draws things, but 
<laughs> that that is interesting that it takes so long to try and get it uh, digitized. I mean, it's just it's more so like you don't want to like have any weird bumps, you know, right. in the lines and like stuff like when you're hand drawing, it's kind of cute because it's hand drawn. I mean, this is still hand drawn, but you know, because it's through a digital process, you don't want it to have any weird artifacts, you know, left over on the pages. Right, exactly. So, where can people find you if they want to follow you online? Yeah, sure. So, I have a personal website, www.danielmglazer.com. And that's kind of like my portfolio site, along with some of the personal projects that I do. so yeah, if you go on there, I have like photography and stuff if you want to check out some other things. Cool. That sounds awesome. Well, thank you for calling in and talking to us about your book. Daniel's book is going to release on August 14th. Along with the other ones, we're going to have a launch party at the bookstore on August 12th. So I'm really excited to see your book in person. It's going to be awesome. I, I'm super excited, too. <laughs> thanks, Daniel. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. Our second author today is Artie Sievers, who wrote the YA fantasy novel Captain, which is a Gregory Maguire-esque story about the rise of Captain Hook that exposes the origins behind this well-known villain. The book also includes some amazing illustrations from local artist Megan Davis, which I'm really excited about, and fans of retold fairy tales and, of course, Peter Pan will love this book. Welcome, Artie. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for calling in. So I know you've been working on this book for a long time and wrote it yeah. a while ago. So can you tell us about how the story sort of came into being and why you decided to write a villain origin story? It definitely. I mean, so I've always been a huge like origin story fan. I'm like, give me prequels after prequels after prequels. <laughs> you know, like I'm a huge fan, obviously, of fantasy worlds. Um, but I've always been the guy who's like, but what happened right before this? You know? Yeah. And when I was younger, I of course devoured all of Gregory Maguire's work. I, I just think he's tops. Um, and so I was basically just like, you know what? I could do this. And I've always wanted to know, you know, the story of Captain Hook, because it's like, he seems like a normal human that kind of went awry here in this fantasy world. And it's like, what is he doing in this weird Neverland? Like, how did he get there? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, it was, I think, the summer of 2007, actually, that I started to write it. And, you know, I kind of wrote half a draft and then put it away. And then I brought it back out a couple of years later and finished it off. And it's, yeah, it's been a labor of love for <laughs> what, a little over 10 years now. Yeah, more yeah. Than a decade ago. Yeah. Yeah. And so what do you think has been the toughest part of the writing and publishing process for you? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the toughest part has honestly been what it, 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 it's kind of like a like a loaded question because I feel like the toughest part is also the most interesting part, mm-hmm. which is literally taking something that, you know, was originally thought of and conceived 10 years ago and completely change it three or four times over. Yeah. Um, yeah, just, you know, because I was a different person when I started to write it. I was 
you know, this was literally the first manuscript I had ever written. Mm. And since then, I have written others, and I feel like I've gotten a little better. And then I go back with that eye to read that initial manuscript. And I was like, oh, well, this is bad. We need to, <laughs> you, you know, the story, yeah, the story, but... um but also, I mean, the world has changed a lot, yeah. especially in the world of literature and the world in YA literature, especially, you know, so things that may have been in that initial draft, it's like, oh, we need to tweak this a little because modern audiences have different needs and wants and, and desires and the world at large does. So that's been honestly the toughest is to just keep an eye to that point and uh and you know just like it's been constant rewrites and and rewrites but as i said you know it's also kind of a fake question because i've also like i love that stuff too like yeah. i love to have a like a, a pile of clay and then you mold it and then tear it down and then you mold it again and so yeah and as an editor and a publisher that's i agree that that's my favorite part that's what i like to do i feel mm -hmm. like i could like write a book if I wanted to, but I'd rather like have it already written so that I can then go back and like, let's rewrite the whole thing. <laughs> like right. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. The, 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 the initial draft is always like the, dare I say the most boring part. It's right. like, okay, well, let me just like spit out some, something that's on the page and then, and then the fun can begin. Exactly. And I yeah. do have a captain specific question that I've actually been wondering because I don't think I've ever asked you this, but Ooh, there's okay. a fairy language in this mm -hmm. world called CERN. Correct? Yes. That's how you pronounce it? Yeah, yeah. CERN. And where did that come from? Like, how did you conceive that? <laughs> that is a great question. <laughs> and one that unfortunately, I, I don't think I have a, a great answer for. Okay. Um, you know, I, I started with thinking of you know, the sounds of the language. So um, I I liked that like zh sound and I like really wanted that sound to be in there because I, I think that has an otherworldly quality. And then, I mean, it also kind of came from a little Welsh, I suppose, because there's a lot of the Ys as the short I sound. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so just o over time, I think, I, I, I mean, I will be perfectly honest, and basically every word in CERN in the book used to be another word, uh, um, yeah. just sim simply because as the language evolved itself over the writing of the book, I was like, oh, so this word doesn't really fit in with the pattern anymore. And, um, but, you know, it was very much about like the fairy folk, the fae folk. I mean, they're, they're a little delicate, you know, yeah. they, um, their, their sensibilities are not as grounded. Um, and so therefore, you know, it's got like, kind of like a you know, like, kind of a, a soft-voiced upper treble sound that kind of then, you know, like dives down deep into the every once in a while. And that's kind of the only way that I can <laughs> Yeah, I was just, I've just always wondered that. I'm like, this is like, it's, yeah. it is. It's just a different language. And so it's like, I, yeah. I've always wondered, like, how do authors come up with these languages in this stuff? Yeah, so. it 
it was really just kind of like a trial and error. And it really evolved on its own, as I think a lot of stories do is, you know, you start off with, with something and you're like, this sounds cool. And then you find out, oh, this is it's piecing itself together somehow. And I'm just witnessing it right. as opposed to creating it. And that's just super fun. That is really cool. So where can people find you if they want to follow you online or see other things that you do? Because Artie does lots of other things as well. Oof, I do, man. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so uh, you can always check out my website. It's just artiefevers.com. That you know that has all this stuff. I mean, I'm I'm I've done some audiobook narration. I'm a composer, so I write musicals too. That's a whole thing. They have won awards. Um, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> I was uh, I was for, I was fortunate enough last year to win the the, uh, the KSF Artist of Choice for Musical Theater Award for uh, my musical, The Gory All Girls String Band, which is a really great story. Check out my website. It's really cool. Okay, um, awesome. And then um, I'm on Twitter at Artie Sievers. And the one crazy thing and super fun thing that I do is, so I'm kind of obsessed with cats. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm on this like lifelong mission to find every single cat that appears at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, where I live. So literally I will go and I will, I, I'm in the midst of it and I will probably never find them all, but <laughs> I just go uh, gallery by gallery looking for every single cat and I post them with the description of what the piece of art is and what gallery you can find it in if you, like me, like cats. <laughs> and that is at Cats at the Met, right? On Instagram? That is correct. Yep, yep. Yes, and I follow that, and it's super entertaining because I also really <laughs> like cats. <laughs> so thank you for calling in, Artie. I really appreciate it. Definitely, yeah. And everyone, uh, just as I discussed before, Artie's book, Captain, will be released on August 14th, and we're going to have a release party on August 12th. And even though Artie lives in New York City, he will be here for the release party to sign books, and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, me too. Yay. So thank you, Artie. Thank you, yeah. So that's all the time we have for this month, folks. Join me again next month for more book industry news, my book of the month discussion of An Unkindness of Ghosts by River Solomon, and more. You can find a recap of this month's podcast, including links at www.tubbyandcoos.com slash blog. You can also find the bookstore on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Tubby and Coos spelled out. And finally, a list of all the books our book clubs are reading, this podcast's book of the month, and more can be found in our Goodreads discussion group. Just search for Tubby Ampersand Coos with an apostrophe S or follow the link in the show notes. Tell us what you're reading. We'd love to discuss with you. The music you heard today is by Jonathan Colton off his newest album, Solid State. Thank you for listening to Novel Ideas on WRBH. I'm your host, Candace Huber. Keep on reading.